into Shut Up and Invest. We are officially live with a special segment. This is by the man. We had so much buzz the last time we had the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Money Multiplier himself. Chris, what is going on, brother? Not much, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, Chris has been probably one of the biggest guests that we had, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm always tagging you online, Chris, <laughs> and this pulse or that pulse. And I get questions daily. I get I get questions daily from people, you know, just trying to figure out, you know, my experience going through the infinite banking concept and you know, let me know, hey, this Chris is Chris a good guy? Is Chris know what he's doing? So it's good that we kind of have you on here once a month to kind of not just go over infinite banking, but just kind of really talk about how money works and how the wealthy use their money. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a, a lot of mysteries about how, you know what the multimillionaires and, and billionaires do with money, and uh, it's very simple. A lot of people think that it's reserved just for the wealthy, which is not the case. It's just it's not information people are you know have readily available. But the other problem is is I think there's a lot of people out there that just keep thinking that the cavalry is coming, and you know I, I hate to break the bad news, but the cavalry isn't coming. There's no one that's going to take care of your financial future more than you are. So it's time to learn. It's learning the secrets with the, of what the wealthy do with money, and I call it the truth about money. Definitely, definitely. Oh, you definitely opened up our eyes. In fact, uh, I just finished uh, going through the setup that your team um, walked me through. So I'm about to get started on this journey now, 100% officially. So let's share with the uh, let's share with the world and and our network exactly what it is that not only myself but you know, a lot of the listeners are going to be doing within the next 12 months with you and your team. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. So and we can go a lot of different places with it. I, I got something I prepared for today's, which is, you know, very general, but really just kind of sets up the stage for 2021 and these crazy times we're living in with a lot of a lot of things changing. And I think, you know, with change, there's a lot of opportunity. And with change, there's, you know, a lot of things that we need to think about. And the number one thing is control. We need to get back control of our money. And there is definitely a choice that people are going to have to make. And that choice is going to be a difficult one. You know, we're all going to be at one point or another in our lives at a crossroads where we literally have to decide what the next choice is. Where are we going to go? And with that, I'm going to hopefully, you know, shed some light on that, give people some some of the, the hard things, which is the truth. And unfortunately, the truth hurts. And uh, you're going to have to... I can't change people's mindsets. I can only show them what the wealthy do. I can show them the truth. And then from there, they have to make the decision that's going to work best for them. And that's what I'm hoping to do. Hey, man. So, hey, we're excited. I mean, we're excited to be able to have this once a month. It'll be the third. Today was on Wednesday, but I think we're going to do it on the third Tuesday of every month. Um, you know, it's just a good segment to bring because a lot of people are trying to figure out what can I do with my money? People just don't know. Absolutely. Right. And so for us to be able to give them this knowledge that, uh, you know, that me and Kevin have learned and the knowledge that you have learned and been teaching is very, very exciting to me. I agree. I agree. And did you and Kevin plan this? What's that? Wardrobe on today? I mean, of course, yeah. I mean, he, he, posted, he sent me a memo. I thought I, I got on here and I saw you in a red t-shirt. I'm hey. like, you didn't get the memo. I live in Puerto Rico. I, I don't own anything but swim trunks and t-shirts. <laughs> Listen, that's not a problem. That's actually a really good sign. <laughs> Listen, Chris, uh, right before one, before you get into what you have planned to show us, 
if somebody doesn't have twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars, is this still something that they can do and make sense for them? Absolutely. And I get that question all the time. I mean, I know it's, you know, kind of been used by the wealthy for a long time, but that doesn't mean that only the wealthy can use this. So, you know, if someone doesn't have 10, 20, $30,000, here's the general rule. Is this for everybody? No. Is this a silver bullet, like the solution to everything? Absolutely not. But is this the foundation that the wealthy use, the banks use and have for generations and hundreds of years? Yes. The minimum to start this plan is very simple. Take your age. I'm 43 years old. Multiply it times 10, and that gives me 430. 430 a month is my minimum. If someone's 30, 300 is their minimum. If somebody's 50, 500 is their minimum. Simplest way to do it is just 10 times age. And then the only exclusion is if you're over 60, you got to do age times 15. And that's the only thing you need to know. Awesome. Yeah, I get a lot of those questions about, hey, you know, I only have this amount of money. Can I do this? And I always say, just talk to Chris because, you know, you know more than I do. So I'm happy you kind of, you know, broke down that basic multiplication problem right there that can kind of give you an idea of what you need to have to start. Yeah, we've done thousands and thousands of these. And over the time, we've really figured out a lot of those little nuances and what works and what doesn't. Got it. Most importantly, what I just heard is, People in their 20s can literally start with under $5,000 if I'm doing the math correctly. I mean, if they can do it for under $3,000, depending on what their age is. So this does not take $50,000, $100,000, $300,000, and you can set yourself up. And and I think that's one of the main messages that I want to get out, especially when we talk about shutting up and investing. I wish... I would have been 20 years old and I thought I was doing a good job because I jumped into real estate properties early enough. But meeting with Chris and hearing all these things is like, if I would have had all the tools, it would have not only helped me with my real estate, but just overall my money situation. I agree. Yeah. And uh, my first policy I started was when I was in my 20s. And it wasn't built the way that I build them today, but it was still the first one I started. And it was it was under $300 a month that I started with. And even though that's a small policy, that policy today, you know, that was when I was in my 20s and now I'm 43. I have funded car purchases with that. I have funded real estate deals. I have lent money to real estate investors, all with that stupid little policy that I started back then, which really is kind of the the foundation for what I wanted to talk about today. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and I'll get into that in a bit. Kevin, you have a you just had a, a little one, correct? Yeah, that's exactly why you came at the perfect time. And once we had that first session in our podcast, I was three weeks, four weeks away from him being born. And my whole purpose, and we said we were going to do this, we're going to track and we're going to see how it's going. My whole purpose is when he's 18 years old and and uh, it's start time to start experimenting with life, right? Because that's the age where we start to say, all right, well, what am I going to do here and go there? Depending on what it is, whether it's, you know, medical school or entrepreneurship or you know, real estate investing, whatever it is, hopefully, um, with your, with your mentorship, um, I'll be making the right decisions for him to be able to do whatever he wants and we can support him and he won't have the, the same struggles that I did when I first started in the game. 
Definitely. You know what what you said is is so powerful because it, it literally, I mean, have you, so you have a different reason to do the things you do and everybody that's going to watch this podcast is going to have different reasons, different goals and different things they're trying to accomplish. But I think, you know, as, is the first time that we're doing this, the first of many, cause this is a regular monthly show. I want to start with this. And Kevin, I, I asked you that question, very intentional. Number one, I have a new, you know, I have an eight month old now, uh, Viviana, and I knew you had your son and, you know, have you ever seen or, or read the book, The Giving Tree? Do you remember when you were a kid? Did your parents ever read that book to you? I have not read that book, no. That is a book I definitely would put on the list uh, for your son. The Giving Tree is a, a very powerful book. And, you know, in life, you know, we're going to, I can show people how to make a lot of money. I can show people how to build well, take back the money they're giving away, be in control of their money. But I can't change their mindset and I can't change you know, a lot of things. So the most important thing I will tell people is if you're going to build wealth and, you know, you take the advice that, you know, we're going to give you on this show, the, the single most important thing is giving. If you don't have a purpose of why you want to make a lot of money, then the money will come in and it will always leave you. You have to sometimes have a much bigger purpose And the giving tree, that children's book, and it's a children's book is all about a tree that was, you know, this little boy, like when he was little, the tree was planted and it grew up with him. And, you know, the tree just kept giving and giving and giving to the boy. But it brings me to something that just happened the other day that almost brought tears to my eyes. And uh, I saw a Facebook post. I'm going to try not to, to lose it like I just did at the last training. But uh, it was a picture of a father. OK, and the father had his little boy on his shoulders. I want everybody to envision this if you're just listening. You know, the father has got his little boy on his shoulders and the boy's got a smile on the father. Is, is watering a little seedling, a little plant, okay? And that little plant is a tree. And, you know, if I ask everybody, when is the best time to plant a tree? You know, the most common answer is 20 years ago, and that is correct. But the second best time to plant a tree is right now. The second slide to that, you know, that little boy on his shoulder where he's watering that seedling is a picture of that tree Okay, that tree is all grown up now. And it's a picture of a, a father, a, not the same father. So it kind of threw me off a little pushing his one child. He's got a daughter. He's pushing on the swing and he's got a little boy on his back again. And that tree was a tree that him and his father planted when he was a little boy. His father had passed away and now he's pushing his kids on the tree that him and his dad planted. And he's you feel like a little bubble. And he says, thank you, dad. And he's thanking his dad for planting that seed. Now, I want everybody to take that visualization. Now, I get I get kind of teared up. I mean, I'm not going to get into my story with my dad, you know, or anything else. But like that tree is what I'm going to teach people how to do. That is you getting control of your money. That is you planting the seed today that will blossom and not just be for you to have a better life, not just be so you can have nicer things, bigger houses, better cars, you know, live the, the life, but so you guys can create a legacy because there's, you know, what we do on this earth in the short time we have here is so vitally important, but the things that we do on this earth in the, in the short time should always benefit somebody else as well. We shouldn't just always try to make money so that we have things. We should, we should make money so that we basically provide a better life for somebody so that we can change somebody's life in one way or the other. And, you know, when it comes down to money, money is nothing more than a tool. Okay. Just like the shovel in your, your garage, that shovel sitting on that wall does nothing. 
But if you grab that shovel off, you can go out and you can plant that seed, which will be that tree. You can make a garden. You can take that shovel and you can start digging, which, you know, in the future will be the foundation for a charity or a homeless shelter or a food bank. And you get the drift. You could take that shovel and you could go out, you know, to, you know, a village out in some other country where people have to walk 10 miles or five miles just to get fresh water. You can start digging the pipe, you know, the, the hole for the pipe that someday will feed fresh water into that village. The shovel is a tool. It's how you use that shovel. We're brought up to believe that money's evil, money's bad. Don't talk about money. Well, that's not the case. Money is the tool. Mm-hmm. And I've never seen a poor person putting wings on a church. That the money that we make, the money that I'm going to show you how to generate, you know, whatever it is, you know, the money you make, this is a tool. This is the shovel. That's all it is. Okay. And if you look at it as anything else, it will morph into something that it shouldn't be. This is one of the most powerful things I can teach people. Not just dollar bill. This is garbage. Okay. This isn't even real. Yeah, money. Okay. They just printed $4 trillion. This is worth less tomorrow than it is today. But what this stands for, what this can do is the magic. The tool called money is what you need to learn how to get control of. Because if you're not in control of it, I'm going to show you what that means. And um, I don't know if you guys want me to just dive right in or. Yeah, let's just dive right in and start, you know, start uh, talking about the PowerPoint before you and showing people how to take control. And, and both of you guys, if you haven't read the, uh, that book, uh, The Giving Tree, make sure you go out and get that. Your kids will, will appreciate it later. So kind of what I got here is very simple. I mean, you got to take back control of your money and your life and your financial future. So all things are considered, but you're going to have to make a choice. And unfortunately, the choice you're going to have to make is going to be fought with a lot of op- opposition. Uh, and I know both of you have already dealt with this. Once you've learned about you know the money multiplier method and the privatized banking, the second you learn, you started telling people you fought some op- opposition. People saying, "Oh, it doesn't work that way. Oh, that's mm-hmm. too good to be true. Oh, you know, Dave Ramsey said that, that whole life is the worst thing on earth." <laughs> and you've heard all of this, and we're going to cover yeah. all this in in you know this session or the next ones because it's not so much what somebody says; it's what choice you make. You have the choice. You can believe all the people around you that are negative. You can tell people your biggest dreams, the things you want to accomplish in your life to all the people closest to your friends, your family, the people you trust, you love, and they can beat you down to the ground. And then you'll never chase your dreams because you decided to conform to their method of thinking, their mindset, their belief system. Their belief system doesn't mean shit. Can I swear on this? Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't mean anything. Your beliefs do. Your dreams do. What you want out of life, that's all that matters. Stop letting other people determine your course and your future. And it comes with making a decision. And I, I drew this little thing. It's kind of funny. It's just a guy walking his money. Because <laughs> what I'm going to teach you all how to do is how to make your money work for you. You've never been taught that in your life. The only thing you've been taught, well, in real estate, you're taught how to make your money work. But most people are never taught how to walk their money. Because this right here, the money is his pet. Okay, he's walking it. It will do anything he tells it to do. Sit, heal, bark, don't bark. You know, whatever he wants his money to do, he can because he's in control of it. Okay, and I don't mean to use a dog, but it's just funny. And, and the reason yeah. I say that is when you're in control of your money, your money is working for you on your terms. But 
what you've only, only thing you've been taught your whole life is how to work for money. You've been taught how to go get a job. You've been taught how to open a business, how to hustle, how to go out and, and work hard for money. And that's important. Don't get me wrong, but that's just the start. Because once you make the money, which you're all capable of making money, we all are, we're all taught very well how to do that. The question is, is do you know how to make your money work for you? And I will tell you this, and you might not like what I say, you don't because you've never been shown what I'm about to show you. And what I'm about to show you is what you all probably think you know, but maybe you don't. What is this? This is a bank. Okay. So we all understand how a bank works, right? We go into the bank, we take our money, you know, we, we take our money and we say, all right, Mr. Banker, like deposit my money. Can you put this money in there? And that feels good. It feels really good to deposit money in the bank. So you take your deposits and you put your deposits into the bank. And let's just for the sake of just picking one, let's pick Bank of America. Okay, so you got your money going into Bank of America. And Bank of America agrees to pay 4% on your money. So they're going to pay you 4% on those deposits that you just put into the bank. And you're excited about that. You made that deposit. That's an asset to you. So your deposit represents a very powerful asset that you feel good about. But what you're literally doing when you're doing this in someone else's bank is you're literally giving up control of your money. And you don't think that. You're like, no, I'm not, Chris. I'm not giving up control of my money. When I put money in the bank, if I want that money, I can take that money back out. Really? Is that really how it works? Because you know what? I'll call your bluff. Back in March, when COVID hit, how many of you went to your bank and tried taking all your money out? <laughs> you do it. If you did, did either one of you try doing that? I didn't I try it. <laughs> I went and pulled $5,000 out. I said, mm, let me see. I got about 2000 at home. Let me pull another five. And this will get me across the border if I need to. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't do it, but I know, you, I know you couldn't do it. I know that banks were closing. I know that there were shortages of coins and dollars and, you know, all kinds of things. And there might have been IOUs depending on how much money you had in the bank. <laughs> yeah. So in March, just like in 2008, you couldn't take all the money out of your bank. If you tried and you walked into the bank and, you know, let's just say a week earlier, you had deposited 20 grand in your bank and it felt great. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, this is scary. I want to, I got to take my money back. I'm going to need that money. They wouldn't have given you all your money back. Like you took five grand and it's funny that you said five, because that was like the most that I heard a bank allowing people to take in a single withdrawal. So then most banks would have said, okay, well, we can give you three or five grand today, but then you got to come back tomorrow. So then you're like, next day you're back. Okay, here's three to five. Then all of a sudden they make you fill all these forms out and you got to sign all these things. And, and you start asking yourself, well, if I'm in control of this money, why am I having to ask for my money over and over? And why can't you give me all my money? I just gave it to you a week ago. And then why am I filling forms out? Uh -huh. It's because you're not in control of your money. The bank is. The second you make this deposit into your bank, I'm just picking on Bank of America. You gave up control. But the other thing too, when you made this deposit, you created an asset for yourself and you created a liability for the bank. But that liability for the bank isn't gonna stay that way for long. Banks are too sm way smarter than this. And you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about it in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, turn, li or turn liabilities into assets. And how do you do that? You move the money. Well, what do banks do? The second you deposit the money in the bank, I, I, last time I checked, you don't take your $20 bill, take it into the bank and say, Mr. and Mrs. Bank Teller, can you put this $20 in my little box in the back, the one that has my name on it? That's not the way it works. You give the teller your $20, it's the teller then right behind you, there's somebody, I don't know, maybe they got like some hidden sign language. It's not, it's a computer. And somebody behind you is borrowing that money. <laughs> They're lending it out in that glass cubicle behind you. Think about it. 
You're, mm -hmm. Somebody comes in and there's a mortgage going on. So they take my money, they take Kevin's money, they take Jory's money, they pull it together and they lend it out to this guy to buy this house that he wants to buy in the form of a mortgage, which had, that's the security. So the bank takes all of our money that they're paying us 4% and they lend it out at seven. But this person gets their mortgage, exchanges that mortgage, that borrowed money to the seller of the house for the keys. And the seller does what? Puts the money back in the bank. So now this person who thinks he has a liability and any of you that think your house is an asset, your primary residence, you are completely wrong. Your yeah. house is not an asset. Your house is a liability. Always has and always will be. And the only way to make that house an asset is to make it start printing money. Most people don't know how to do that. So it's a liability. But now that this money went back into the bank, it created another liability for the bank. So what they do is they loan the money out to Jory for his brand new BMW M4. That's a pretty sweet car, just so you know. But Jory goes and buys his M4 and the bank charges him 8%. Okay, so then he takes that eight, that money, that loan, gives it to the dealership. The dealership puts it back in. Jory's got the car. The bank has the note. The dealership has the cash. But guess what? The bank's got the money again. Now, the bank takes that money again and loans it out to somebody for a home remodel. They give a home equity line of credit. That remodel goes to the money from the home equity, goes to the contractors and goes right back in the bank. Now, it doesn't matter if it's a different bank. All banks are connected, folks. There's a, there's a thing called the Federal Reserve. And for those of you that don't know, the Federal Reserve is not owned by the federal government. It's a private entity owned by the largest, wealthiest families in the world. The Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, I'm not going to go anymore. Read the creature or read the book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. It'll tell you all about it. And it'll scare the shit out of you. Anyway, <laughs> now the bank's got another liability, so they, they lend the money back out again. But now they're lending it out to you because you went to Las Vegas. You put it all on black and it hit red. You got a bunch of credit card debt. You don't want your wife to find out. So what you do is you get a, a debt consolidation loan. Then you pay the credit cards off. They're gone. The credit cards put the money back in the bank. What did the bank do here? The bank took your money and everybody else's and they moved the money. Okay. They didn't put, take your money and do the same thing you did. They didn't take your money and just park it somewhere and leave it sit to rot. Mm -hmm. and, it, and I'll get into that in a second. They moved it. Okay. There's not a business in the world. Not a bank in the world, not a Wall Street firm in the world that parks their money somewhere and just leaves it. They all move money because they don't participate in compound interest because to make compound interest, they basically have to, you know, they'd have to park their money somewhere. They move their money. So in doing all of this, who is in control of every one of those transactions? The mortgage, the car loan, the home remodel, the debt consolidation. Who's in control? Well, the, bank, the bank's in control. 100% in control. And how much risk did the bank take in all these transactions? Not much. Very little. I mean, you know, little. they have something backing that money, you know, so yeah. it's very little. Got a house, got a car, got a, a second mortgage on this. This is the only one that get that consolidation that was unsecured. But that was 12% interest they were charging. Mm -hmm. So the bank was in full control of every transaction here. Uh, and they're using your money, just so you know. Not only are they in full control, they're taking very little risk. And how much money did the bank actually make? Well, simple math. The four they're paying you minus the seven. The four they're paying you minus the eight on the car. The four they're paying you minus the nine on the home remodel. And the four they're paying you minus the 12 works out to be 20%. So the bank made 20% by moving your money. But you see, that's not even what the bank made. A lot of people would be like, wow, that's great. I'd love to make 20% on someone else's money. Wouldn't we all? But how much did the bank actually make? 
Well, there's a mathematical equation that starts with the four they're giving you and then the 20 that they're making on that money. Four times or 4% divided into 20 is five, right? It's five times more money. So that doesn't, that means that the bank didn't make 20%. The bank made 500% more than you did on, whoops, that was weird. 500% more than you did on the money that you left there. So if banks were stupid, they wouldn't know how to do this. The banks figured out a long time ago that the secret to this is moving money. But the funny thing is, is we just accept this as just being how it works because you've been taught at a young age to give your money to the banks, to give your money to Wall Street, to give up control of your money. And then in doing that, somebody else, i.e. the bank, i.e. Wall Street, i.e. all the financial firms are making money on your money because that's where it all begins. It begins with you. And if you're okay with this, then this probably isn't the right training. But if you're not okay with this, if you're asking yourself, well, how do I be the bank? How do I mimic what the bank does? Now we got something to talk about. Well, we got to take one more trip into bank lane. So let me just erase this. And then what I'm going to do next is I'm going to show you one other thing that you can't do. But I show this in a very specific way because it's important. Those of you that don't understand federal, like the, the fractional reserve banking, which is what the Federal Reserve set up. This is literally, it's a legal like cartel really, but it allows them to physically create money out of thin air. And we all know that this exists, but do you know how it exists? And do you know the mechanics of it? Well, that's important for you to understand. I'm kind of going to walk you through in this show and these trainings on how all this stuff came to be, why it's used, and why you all should use it, because that's the most important thing. So right here, first and foremost, fractional reserve banking starts with you. Always has, always will. And it starts with your money. You go out, you work hard, you make a paycheck, you take that money, you deposit it in the bank just here. And the bank pays you a measly 1% to 2%, maybe less. When the bank pays you that 1% to 2%, what the bank does is they actually, they have to now, they have to hold in reserves. And I want you to remember this, reserves are called tier one capital to a bank. It's the most mm -hmm. important money to a bank because it's got to be guaranteed. They only have to hold out of your $100 deposit, $10 of that. That's it. And then what they get to do is they literally get to create $90 out of thin air. So they do, they create $90. And what do they do with that $90? Well, they move it. So Jill wants to buy a new pair of these Nike SB limited edition, like uh, that's here. I got some of those. He's got these limited edition nights. So Jill wants these nights, but doesn't have the money. So she goes to the bank. The bank gives Jill a loan for $90, which the bank lends out of, and that money was just created out of thin air because of your deposit. And they charge Jill 5% on that. She doesn't care. She just wants the shoes. Jordan knows all about this. So Jill then <laughs> sends $90 to John, who owns the shoes. John sends the shoes. That was the exchange. Money for shoes, shoes for money. Okay. So now $90 is in John's hand. John deposits that $90 in the bank. The bank holds $9 of that 90, which was created out of thin air. And then the bank has $81 to then do whatever they want with. And what the bank does is the bank then loans that money to Billy because Billy is in hard times. Billy has a line of credit and Billy borrows $81 from his line of credit. And Billy has a problem because Visa is late. His Visa payment's late. So 
Billy makes that $81 borrowed money. I remember that's borrowed money at 10%. He's paying 10% on that line. He takes that $81 and he pays his visa payment. Now remember, Visa's charging him 20%. So now he's paying 10% on that $81 line of credit and he's paying 20% on the visa, which he just paid with borrowed money. So Visa then, and there was nothing created out of thin air there yet, but Visa deposits that money in someone else's bank. That bank takes $8.10 in reserves and creates $73 out of thin air. And this keeps going, it repeats, it just goes over and over again. The bank just keeps doing this. The bank, all they do is they keep records of all of this. They keep records of deposits, they keep records of loans, they keep records of reserves. And your hundred eventually becomes a thousand and two thousand and ten thousand and a hundred. It just keeps multiplying. That's what this is. And then the bank has this fake thing. It's not fake. It's real, <laughs> called the FTIC. And if you guys really research what that is, it says that for the first two hundred fifty thousand, they're gonna they're gonna insure that money for the banks. Exactly. If there's ever a run on the banks, folks, the FDIC doesn't have enough money. They just don't. But that's okay because the FDIC has the Federal Reserve, which, as you just saw, can literally create money out of thin air. So don't ever worry about this. But if you're keeping more than 250000 at any bank, then then you should worry. You need to diversify your bank accounts. Go get some credit unions, some community banks. Move that money around. Play this cup game, right? Take your money. Take it out of one bank. Put it in another bank. Then take, you know, anything. go up to hundred grand per bank and then just keep creating more cups. Did you guys ever see the cup game, right? If I had cups, you know, well, which one's the ball in? Which one? Where's the, where's the ball? Where's the ball? I and mean, you never can guess it, right? It's moving around, right? That's what you want to do with your money. Because in the event of another COVID thing in March or 2008, you want to be able to want, you want to be the one being able to play the cup game. Oh, oh you thought it was there, didn't you? Oh, no, it's over here. No, it's yeah. over there. You want to basically do your own run on the bank and your run on the bank is going to be multiple banks. You go into one bank. I need five grand. Great. Here you go. Go into another bank. I need five grand. And you just go down the line. You just take all your money out of the banks. That's being in control, but not to the ultimate. So let's keep going with the Federal Reserve. Let's recap it. You deposited 100 grand. That 100 grand created $90 for Jill's loan. Jill, then basically that $90 became another 81 with Billy and then 73. All these monies were created at thin air, $271. So your deposit of 100 became 271. It's fiat money at its best. And the whole time this was going on, Jill's paying interest. Billy's paying interest twice. Interest is charged. How many of you want to be able to do this yourself? And you can. All you got to do is change one thing. And that one thing is who is in control of your money. That is the only thing that we need to change. But as simple as that sounds, this is where the difficult part comes in. You remember... A second ago, when I was talking about the bank, the bank had to hold money in reserves. So the bank took your money. They held $10 of your hundred in reserves. But I told you that 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 is tier one capital, the most important money to a bank. It's the money that they have to guarantee. Well, if the bank's holding reserves, where does the bank keep those reserves? Well, some of you are thinking, oh, silly, keep it at a bank. Duh. You know, they just give that reserves to another bank. No, they don't. They have to guarantee it. So they either buy U.S. treasuries, which is not going to pay them very well, or they do what the wealthy have done for hundreds of years. And they use the same thing you should use for your private banking, and that is giant mutually owned insurance companies. So let me kind of frame this up. So the one thing we need to look at is we need to look at mutually owned insurance companies, big ones. 
Why would we look at mutually owned insurance companies? Well, primarily because this is what the banks do. And if we want to be the bank, well, what we got to do is we got to mimic what the bank does. So mutually owned insurance companies, why do banks use insurance companies? Well, because insurance companies are in the business of guaranteeing money. They're in the business of providing guarantees and can, they can. They're one of the only financial institutions that can provide the guarantees like they do. Why? Well, simply, they have all the money. Insurance companies have always had all the money. Go back to the Rockefellers days, the Rothschilds and all of them. Where did they keep their wealth? If you think they kept it in banks because they were bankers, you're wrong. They kept it at mutually owned insurance companies. The same reason why conventional banks today keep their tier one capital and more at giant mutually owned insurance companies. But now that we understand where the banks keep the money, let's talk about how the banks do this. So I'm going to kind of walk you through this whole thing so that you guys can start understanding not just what they do, why they do it. We talked about the bank's tier one capital has to be guaranteed. Well, if we're looking at mutually owned insurance companies, they can provide guarantees and we just go into today's world, how much does a mutually owned insurance company pay you on the money you deposit there? Well, as of 2021, that interest rate is 4% guaranteed. And because they are mutually owned, they also pay dividends every year. Okay, and, and they've paid these dividends, even though they're not guaranteed, they've paid them every year they've been in existence. Most mutually owned insurance companies, especially the ones we deal with, have been around for over 100 years. So now that we understand that, wouldn't the bank love to make a guaranteed 4% on all that money that you gave them? Well, you're darn right they would. So how do they do that? Well, you can't just walk into your giant mutually owned insurance company and say, hey, hey, guys, I watched this web, this podcast from these guys that said, shut up and invest or something like that. And they told me that I, I got to take my money and I got to give it to the insurance company. So here's my money. The insurance company is like, whoa, whoa, I don't want we don't want your money. Like we don't, we're not a deposit bank. And you say, well, yeah, but that, that's what they said. We deposit my money in the bank or the, the insurance company or whatever they said. It doesn't work that way. Here's how it works. And it works through a vehicle you all know, but this is where you're all going to be kind of a little bit weirded out through a vehicle called a whole life insurance policy. But if you think that I'm talking about a traditional off-the-shelf whole life insurance policy. You know, the ones Dave Ramsey and Susie Orman says are the worst places you can invest your money. And they're right. If you went out and you bought yourself a regular whole life insurance policy, that is expensive life insurance and might not be the smartest place for you to park your money. But we're not talking about regular whole life insurance. We're talking about very specially designed and engineered whole life. So if the bank wants to put billions of dollars in insurance companies, this is how they do it. They go out and they create a bunch of whole life policies. Okay. They, they go to the insurance company, they buy these specially designed and engineered whole life policies. They use your money and they put that money in there. But how do they do that? Because insurance companies don't insure entities in this fashion. So the Bank of America can't go in and buy a whole life policy and say, all right, well, we want to buy it with Bank of America. It doesn't work that way. Bank of America can be the owner of the whole life policy, but we need a body. We got to have somebody to insure. Because remember, the whole life insurance policy has a debt benefit, which means we need an insured party. So then the bank sat there and was like, hmm, 
well, who can we insure? Can we just insure anybody? And the insurance company says, no, no, you have to have an insurable interest, like an executive. And the bank says, yeah, we got some of them. And I think we can create a lot more of these executives. And you know what they're called? Do you want to know what the bank's executives are called? Well, you already know this, but they're called vice presidents. So how many of you have walked into a bank, walked around the bank, and you know you look for the little tags, the black or the gold tags? How many vice presidents does a bank have? Too many. Vice president of janitorial, vice president of sales, vice president of everything. Why do you think that is? Because the bank needs to create executives for an insurable interest. So what the bank does is they promote everybody. They take the teller after two weeks and they're like, hey, you want a promotion? You're doing a great job. We're going to move you up to vice president of janitorial. You're very well qualified. We love your work ethic. I'm making this up, but you get the drift. And then what happens? So with this promotion, they get a salary increase. Okay. The second thing, which is the golden handcuffs, we're going to call this, okay, the golden cuffs, the bank says, hey, we're also going to give you a death benefit. So if something happens to you while you're working at the bank, we're going to give you a $100,000 death benefit that will be paid to your family should you graduate too early. And the, and the, the, this employee, right, this VP is so excited, like, oh, my God, I'm getting a salary increase. I'm getting a death benefit. That's great. So gracious of you, Mr. Banker or Mr. Bank, and then, oh, but that's not all. We're gonna give you a deferred compensation plan. So what is a deferred comp? They come in a lot of shapes and sizes, but essentially this vice president puts in a good hard 20, 25 years at this bank. And then when they retire, the bank starts paying them a, a, a monthly or whatever payment compensation. So let's call that 2000 a month. So this, this vice president is like, this is freaking great, man. This is awesome. I really chose the right occupation. What does the bank do? The bank says, great, we got you now promoted. We're so excited to have you in our vice president and executive staff. So what we're going to now do is we're going to go and we're going to find an insurance company that will write a giant whole life. How much? I don't know. Let's just pick numbers, right? Let's just say they take out a $5 million death benefit and they're going to put, I don't know, $500,000 per year into premiums, into this. The vice president doesn't even know this is going on outside the fact that they're just the vice president now and they know that they're going to get a hundred thousand dollar death benefit that is the equitable benefit so out of this five million in death benefit the employee's family is going to get a hundred thousand so here's what happens every year they take our deposits their tier one money they put them into these whole life policies and just so you all know i know you think i'm just blowing smoke look it up it's called bully bank owned life insurance just look it up look up any bank in the united states and what you will find that every bank, every bank from Wells Fargo to Citigroup to uh, Bank of America, I could keep going on. They own more whole life insurance than they do all the land and buildings combined. That's a lot. That's right. It is. And it quadrupled insurance or banks quadrupled the amount of whole life they own since 2008. Actually, I think it's since 2014, because after the crisis happened. They quadrupled the amount of whole life because they had to increase the reserves, right? Their capital in tier one. So they needed more vice presidents. Hence, now you got that. So the vice president goes through their life. They retire at 65. They reach 65. At 65 years old, the bank starts paying them $2,000 a month. Where's it come from? The whole life. And I'll show you how that works. So every month, two grand comes from the cash value in the whole life. Someday later, the, the um, vice president dies. He's 75, has a heart attack. No longer gone, right? 
But that benefit pays out to his family, hundred grand. His family's like, oh my God, the bank was so gracious to give us a hundred thousand dollar death benefit. I don't know what I would have done if the bank wasn't so gracious. And, and this is true, like if the bank was gracious, gave him a hundred grand. But then the 4.9 million, whoops, the 4.9 million left in this death benefit, who gets that? The bank. The bank is the owner. So therefore the bank controls the money. Ownership equals control. See where this comes from? This is what banks do every day, folks. Every day they do this and they just keep stocking money and you know saving money. And you know, here's the best part about this whole thing. Now that you understand how banks work, now I'm gonna bring it all full circle for, for this training. And we're gonna go deeper into this, I promise. But I first had to help you understand that the number one thing we need to do is get control of our money. Once we have control of our money, the next parts, and this is where the money training comes in, truth about money is we need to learn how to move that money. So you all park money at banks, you park it in 401ks, you put it somewhere, and then that money just sits there. It just sits there and it rots. Well, one thing that's important to understand is every time the Federal Reserve, or they call it the government, prints money, I think we're at three, three million in, in, or three trillion and counting. I don't know, is it four trillion? Is it five trillion? Do we even know how much money the government just printed? Because I, I don't. And it's going to be a hell of a lot more. So your money, your $20 that you hold in your hand, every time they print money, this $20 becomes worth less because the money they print doesn't have any value. There's no gold standard anymore. There's no silver. You know, there's no silver certificates like the old dollar bills. None. This is just fiat money. It's fake. I showed you how they do it. Okay. So now that they print all this money, your money becomes worth less. It's called inflation. So if inflation keeps going up and inflation right now is about 3.2%. If your money's not earning 3.2, it's losing every single day. Every day your money's losing and inflation, just so everybody knows, is not the goods and services that you buy going up in cost. It appears that that's what it is, but it's not. What inflation is, is this, this $20 becoming worth less. Inflation is a hidden tax. It erodes your wealth. It steals your money. That's exactly what it does. The bread, the milk, the, the lumber, the increase in all those costs is all direct re relation to inflation, to the printing of money. They print more. This becomes worth less, which means we need more dollars to buy the same goods and services. That's inflation. So we got to beat that first. If you don't beat inflation, like it doesn't matter how good you are. You're just going to be out there hustling for the rest of your life. So an easy way to beat your money is to change one thing. And that one thing you change is where your money goes first. Because if it's going into the bank, I know I showed you a bank paying you 4%, but that wasn't a bank, folks. Mm -hmm. That old example was just kind of made up. Banks don't pay you 4%. And if they do, please let me know what bank you're at. I'll change everything. I'll change all my presentations to use that bank. They don't. I, that's a good question. I don't know a bank that pays 4%, but insurance companies do. Okay. All the insurance companies we use pay a guaranteed 4%. That might change in 2022, but right now, 2021, it's 4%. So if we just change where our money goes first, then we can beat inflation. And that place we change it is right here. It's called privatized banking. So what I want you to think about is where your money goes first. Not every penny of it, but the money that you're saving. What I would propose is that we change the name on the bank of where those deposits go. And for today... I want whatever your name is, Joseph, Jory, Kevin, Chris, whatever your name is, that's now the name on your bank. And what you're going to do is you're going to start making deposits. 
Okay, we're going to call these deposits premium deposits, just so I can get your head wrapped around it. Okay, when you think of a whole life policy, you think of making premium payments, which is an expense. Okay, that's a cost. We're making deposits like you do in your bank, but I'm just going to kind of make it easy and call it a premium deposit. Mm -hmm. So you start making monthly or quarterly or semi-annually or annual deposits into your bank. And let's just say you build up 10,000 bucks. Okay, so you got your bank, you build up 10 grand in your bank through their deposits. But remember that money that's in this bank is earning 4% plus dividend. But now all of a sudden that it's earning 4%, that's kind of boring. If any of you are real estate investors like Jory and Kevin and myself, 4%, I'm sorry, like that doesn't get me super fired up. It's a great <laughs> place, but I'm just not pumped on 4%. So we got to make more than four. So what do we do as real estate investors? We buy real estate. So let's, let's kind of get into the real estate a little bit here. How we buy real estate. I put money into my private bank, okay, which is nothing more than this specially designed and engineered whole life. Let's not make two ways about it, but I don't want you to get hung up on this whole life. I want you to think of the specially designed whole life, the private bank, is nothing more than a machine. It's a giant pump, okay, a very powerful pump. And that pump is just designed to move your money as fast as it can in the most efficient way it can. So once we got money in there, we want to move that money out of your private bank because we can't leave the money sit in the stagnant pond. We need that money to move. I already showed you how to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to take loans from our bank. Why are we taking loans? Very simply put, because if you went to anyone else's bank and you got money, it would be in the form of a loan. So when you take money from your bank, you're going to take loans. Okay. And when you take the loan out, that money has to go somewhere first. So it's going to go into your regular bank account. So what we're going to call this a segregated bank account. If any of you have ever read the book, Profit First, he talks about segregated bank accounts, talks about profit accounts and marketing accounts. This is your segregated banking account. The only thing we're going to use this particular checking account at your local bank for is a books and records. It's the only reason. The segregated account is just so you have good books and records. Because if you're like me or anyone else, if I put money in my regular bank account, if I put money in my regular commercial um, LLC account, it's like the black hole. Whatever goes in there disappears. Real estate investors are magic. They're all magicians because we can put money in any one of our, our real estate banking accounts and poof, it's gone. It's like you know the rabbit trip, right? Ha, it was there a second ago. Now the money's gone. That's real estate for you. We're always you know running out of money in real estate. So this is just to keep books and records of money in and money out. So now that the money's here, we've got 10 grand in our regular bank. Now what we're going to do is the same thing you would do if you borrowed money from a hard money lender. You're going to do a note because what we're going to do, we're going to buy real estate here. The money started in your private bank and we need that money to make it over here to your LLC's bank account. Okay. This is the, this is the stopping point, right? Sorry, I'm hitting the top there. This is, just, this is where the money's going to stop. But before it makes it to your LLC, we got to basically do the same thing you would do if you borrowed money from a bank, a hard money lender, a private lender. We're going to do a promissory note. And I know this seems silly, and a lot of you probably are like, that's stupid. It's not stupid at all. You talk to your accountant about this, or you talk to anyone that's going to ever audit you about this, they're going to love you for it. Because if you took money from over here, and this place over here is earning 4%, you took it from here and you want it to go over here, you should charge yourself interest. Why? You're thinking, oh, well, it's my money. Why would I charge, why would I charge interest on my own money? Well, very simply put, because it is your money. But what I want you to think of is I want you to think of your money as your personal money, because it is, it's your personal bank. 
And if the money crosses from your personal bank into your business bank, well, then there's a toll to pay, which means you should charge yourself interest. Now, how I do it, I charge myself 6%. Why 6%? Because my CPA said that, you know, he asked me when I said I was going to do this, he said, well, how much money would the bank charge you to borrow money? So I don't know, 6%. He said, great. If you can prove that your bank would charge you 6% on a loan, charge yourself the same as the bank. Perfect. So I charge myself 6%. So now the money leaves my personal bank. I got a note here, 12 months, 6%. And then I then take the money and now I have 10 grand in my LLC's bank account. Step number one, this is great. Here's the one thing you don't yet know. And I'm going to kind of get this out of the way and then I'm going to move through this really quick. So I'm going to show this again later. Let's change the color. You started with 10 grand over here, but when the money left your private bank, you would probably think that you stopped earning 4%, wouldn't you? Because that's how your regular bank works. If you put 10 grand in your regular bank, put 10 grand in your bank, and you then take the 10 grand out of your bank, doesn't your bank stop paying you interest? They do. But you see this bank, when we took the 10 grand out, remember we took a loan. I told you that we're taking a loan from your bank, which means you're not using your money. Whose money are you using? Okay, your personal bank, when you take money as a loan, you're using the insurance company's money. And why would the insurance company ever give you money? That Chris, like, why would the insurance company ever just give me money anytime I want? Because there is no credit check. There is no paperwork. You click a button or you make a phone call. You say, hey, yeah, I got 10 grand in my bank. Yeah, or my, I'm sorry, my special design whole life. Yes, I do. Great. Could you send that to me? Perfect. Thanks. That's it. Done. And I don't know if uh, Kevin or Jory have done loans yet, but it takes literally about a minute. I did, I did mine already. How long did yeah, it take I mean, you? One, one form, about two minutes, and it showed up like three days later. Bingo. There you go. You don't, you don't need to hear it from me. So he took a loan. The insurance company gave him a loan, didn't ask him any questions. Why? Well, because the insurance company made two promises. They promised to pay 4%, but they also promised that someday if me, Jory, or Kevin pass away, I call it graduate, they're going to pay a death benefit. We already talked about that with why the banks do this. So that death benefit is owed to you or your family when you die. So when you take a loan, all the insurance company does, let's just say you got a hundred thousand dollar death benefit and we're going to take 10 grand. They take 10,000 from your death benefit. So if you die during this transaction here, the insurance company on the books only owes 90 grand because you already used 10 of your death benefit. You leveraged your death benefit. Now the insurance company doesn't do this for free. They charge interest. How much interest? 5% simple interest. And a lot of you get so hung up on this number. You're like, oh my God, they charge interest. Like that sucks. Not really, because remember, how much money are they paying you? 4%. Okay, your money never even left your account. So you're always making 4% even when you took the money out. But then they pay you a dividend. But we haven't talked about the dividend much because it's not guaranteed. But in 2021, Right now, we are at the lowest dividend scales these insurance companies have paid in 30 years. So the insurance company that Jory and Kevin have pays a dividend of 2%. So if we did four plus two, isn't that six? The insurance company is paying us 6% on this 10 grand and we're getting charged five. We're making a percent for taking all the money out of our policy. That's pretty sweet. Your bank doesn't even pay you 1%. So I wanted to make sure you understood this. Just so everybody knows what this is called is uninterrupted compound interest. 
And if you look at the definition from Albert Einstein of this, he will tell you that it's the eighth wonder of the world and the greatest thing in the, he says, in the universe, but I would say in the financial universe. He says, those that understand it, earn it. Those that don't, pay it. You're now learning about this and you're earning that as well because you're learning, which means you're earning. So we took the loan out, okay? I got that out of the way. Your money never left your account, so it's earning interest. Now we take it over here and you're gonna charge your company 6%. The 10 grand that goes into your LLC, what are we using it for? We're going to buy real estate. So we go out and we found ourselves a double and we use the 10. I know you can't buy a double for 10 grand. Well, in Buffalo, you might be able to, but most places you can't. So you just use this as the down payment. Okay. So we use the 10 grand. The deal is closed. Now, all of a sudden you rent it out and let's just use simple math. Let's say it's, let's say it's a thousand bucks. Okay. A thousand a month is what you're bringing in from your rental property here. And that $1,000 is going to go back into this account. So we've got $1,000 a month going into your LLC account. Now you loaned your LLC that money. So your LLC then, because of the note, is going to pay you back. But you're in full control. Remember, it's your money. You control the terms of the note. You control the time in the note. You control every aspect, just like the bank controls every aspect of all those things I showed you. So now what we're going to do is this rent comes in. Every month, we're going to set up a bill pay. Get rid of some of this. We are going to go into our bank, our corporate bank account. We're going to set up a bill pay. And let's just say it's for $300 every month. Let's just assume that that's how much your note says that this is going to cost you. So we set up a $300 a month bill pay. So each month, out of sight, out of mind, after rent's collected, $300 is sent back to your segregated account. Now you can show books and records. And then from there, what do we do? We set up a loan repayment back to your bank. And we put this same 300 that made it in here back into here. So we had 10 grand to start. We borrowed 10 grand from the insurance company, which they gladly gave us because they just gave it against our death benefit. We put that into our corporate account. We then use that 10 grand to buy a piece of real estate. We then take part of the rent, whatever amount you want to charge yourself, you're in control, and you send that back to your policy. So now every single month, your plan is growing by an extra $300. You made money twice, because how much did you make here? 1% in the first year, okay? Every year, that number goes up. Why? Again, you if you're asking why this number goes up every single year, the spread between what you make and what you pay the insurance company, well, simple. It's called uninterrupted compound interest. Your 10 grand next year isn't 10 grand. It's 10,600. The next year, it's 10,600 times 6% and so on. It just keeps going up. See, this is compounding. This is going up. Then this is also being regenerated by the money that your rental did. But let's just say you didn't buy a rental. Let's say you bought business equipment. Let's say you paid for marketing, like you did a big mailing campaign. You just used whatever this money is used for. Always think of it as your money in your personal bank. When it crosses into your business, needs to make it back into your personal bank. Because you got to treat your money the same is you would treat the bank's money because your money is just as valuable as the bank's money. And if you don't think it is, well, then you're in the wrong place because you're okay paying the bank money. You're okay paying every single conventional bank out there interest on your money that you borrow. Why would you have a problem paying your bank interest on the money you borrow? And it's even more fun when you pay your bank back money because you're in control. The interest in everything that you're paying, instead of paying it to somebody else's bank and they get to use that money every month, it goes back into your bank and you get to use that money 
every single month. So that is just a very simple example, but I want to go one more round because now let's just kind of get down and then I'm going to wrap on this. Let's talk about everyday life. You understand the concept now, okay? But I showed you buying a piece of real estate, right? I didn't show you using the money for normal things, but where does all your money go on a regular basis? So if you think about the money you make, you go out and you make money, you get that money, and then what happens at the end of the month? You have to write checks out, or at the beginning of the month, depending on what cycle it is. You gotta pay who? Well, you gotta pay for your car payments. So let's say your car payment's $500 a month, and you're paying 5% on that loan. You got credit card debts, right? Most of us have credit cards, and let's say those are 20%, and you're paying $200 a month to them. Okay, you got college loans, and let's just say you owe whatever, let's say it's 100 bucks a month, and you're paying 3% on those college loans. You got a boat, and you're paying 1,000 bucks a month on your boat, and that's 5% interest. All of these represent money that's leaving your family forever. You got 500 leaving your family here, you got 200 leaving your family, 100 leaving your family, 1,000 leaving your family. You're making the money, and you're spending that money on things that you buy to, do, to enjoy life, right? So remember now, we changed one thing. We changed where our money went first. So now, on a monthly basis, we're depositing money into our bank, the bank of you. And what we really wanna do is we wanna start using our bank to take back all the interest that we're giving away to everybody else's bank. It's a simple process. Let's just say again, let's use, uh, let's say you build your bank up to 20 grand. You got $20,000 over the course, two years you've been saving, you got 20 grand built in there. And I know, hey, everybody wants this to work just like this. Building wealth is a marathon. It is not a sprint. So it takes time to capitalize your bank. It doesn't happen overnight. So now we got 20 grand. Same thing. We take that 20 grand. Now, this is all personal. Notice how there's no note. So everything we're dealing with here is your personal stuff. So we don't need to cross money from personal to business. So we take the money out of your account. Same thing. You're still earning 4% on all 20 grand plus the dividend. The money goes here to your segregated bank account which is nothing more than a new bank account you created at your local bank. Why? Books and records, folks. Books and records. It's the only reason. Read the book, Profit First, and you'll understand why we do this. Then I take this money, this 20 grand, and let's say I come over here and I pay off the car loan. So the loan is gone. So now some of you would think, yeah, great. Now I don't have that $500 a month payment. Wrong. Your money has to be treated the same as the bank's money. If you took money from your bank and you paid off your car, your car now is bought free and clear. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna take this 500 a month that you used to, and actually let me do this in a different color, that you used to give to someone else's bank, and what we're actually gonna do now, we're gonna take that $500, and we're then gonna pay that money back into your bank. So now, every month, we have $500 going back into our bank. That $500 is not money you had to work any harder for, work any longer for, you didn't have to take on any risk or lose control. It's money you were giving away. Okay, now that $500 plus the deposits you're making build up and now you got another five grand over here. So we take this five grand out and what do we do? We pay off the credit cards. The credit cards are gone. We take the $200 a month you used to give to the credit cards and we pay it back to ourselves. Okay, so now how much did we just take back? How much wealth did we just take back that we were giving away? 500 for the car, 200 for the, cre the credit cards. So we now just created $700 almost out of thin air. Remember how the bank with fractional reserve banking created money out of thin air. You can't do that, it's not legal, but you kind of can 
by simply just taking back the money you're giving away to everybody else. And if we just kept doing that, we did that with your credit cards, we did that with your boat, how much money would we have at the end of the day? 500, now 700, 800, 1800. This is $1,800 a month going back into your bank every single month. Nothing changed. Nothing changed except for the name on the check. The check used to go to this bank for this car loan, these credit cards for those credit cards, this student loan finance company, this boat finance company. Now the name on all those checks is your bank. All you did is did the exact same thing every conventional bank does with your money every day. The hardest part about this, you had to start. You had to leap. You had to start the process. It's the hardest part because everybody will fight you on this because everybody will not understand how this works. Your financial advisor will not know what this is and they will fight you on it. And I had this conversation with a guy on Instagram today. He watched my videos, loved them, he loved everything about it. And he's like talking about it and he brings it up to his financial advisor. His financial advisor was tearing it apart. Oh, that's terrible. Infinite bank, that doesn't work. That's a scam. And he's just like, now he's got a decision to make. He's got a really hard decision to make. Remember earlier, I had that thing up. He has to make a decision. Who cares more about his money? Does he care more about his money or does his financial advisor? He has reached, sorry, I'm getting back to the first one here. He has reached this point in his life where he needs to make a decision. Does he want to be in control of his money or does he want his financial advisor to be in control? And then he's got to look in the mirror and say, who cares more about my money? My friend, the financial advisor or me? Folks, that's what you all have to decide. Who cares more about your money? You or somebody else? The answer is you because the cavalry isn't coming this time. Your future, your financial freedom and your control of your life is down to you making the right decisions. So I hope that was good. I hope you guys like that. There's a lot more where that came from. I just wanted to get warmed up and started. And this is where we started, folks. Hey, awesome, Chris. <laughs> Appreciate Joe, that. Joe's saying it's true. It's crazy. You don't know what you don't know. Once you find out, you didn't know it. Joe, can I, can I, can I finish with a quote? One of the most profound quotes that I ever heard and one that I live my life by. It's by Will Rogers. Will Rogers says, the biggest problem in America is not what people don't know. The biggest problem in America is what people think they know that just ain't. So be careful who you take advice from. Be careful who you surround mm -hmm. yourself with. If they're not living the life you want, find a new circle. We got Molden saying, I should be opening two policies soon. Just waiting on this deal to close. Fantastic, man. I love the sound of that. Chris, I got a question on uh, that example. If we use that money for our LLC investments, we have to actually physically create a note? You do. Okay. And then the second question is the segregated account. Are you saying we should, separate from our personal bank accounts, create a separate account that will only be for when we pull money from our policies and pay ourselves back? Correct. Yep. It's just, it, and that's all it is. Like you don't even need a checkbook. You don't need a checkbook. All it's there and do it at whatever bank you bank at now. So you can just set up bill pays. We want this to be as easy as possible. And the reason we don't want to co-mingle funds with your regular bank account is, I don't know. I mean, maybe everybody's different, but from my experience, most people's personal bank accounts or business bank accounts are like the black hole. 
We want to keep this money segregated so that we can track it so that we know what's coming in and what's going out. And the funnest part is when you do that, you very quickly start seeing how much money you were giving away to everybody else because it's now all in that account. You can just look at a statement or an online you know, report and say, holy crap, look at all those monies going back into my account that I used to give away. Is, is that account a personal account or a business account or does it matter? It doesn't really matter, but I would make that account. If your banking policy is owned by you personally, then it should be a personal bank account. If your banking policy is owned by your LLC, which we, we very rarely ever suggest that, then in that case, your, your segregated account would be owned by the uh, LLC. Got it. In that example where you paid off the car, that would still hold true if you had a lease, right? If you had a lease car, you want to make payments or not really? I certainly do not suggest anyone use a lease. It's funny. I just did another training. We went over that exact thing. So let me let me show you one other thing that will kind of help with that. Uh, let's see. i got to figure out how to get a new screen up here. Close this one. All right. So camera. <laughs> Holy smokes. Computer's going slow today. All right. So let's say you got money. On, whoops, wrong color. Let's say you got money over here on the left. And this can be any money you want. Let's just say this is your, your bank account. And then over here, you got your lease payment. A lot of people want to then take the money from here, change one thing, and put it into this banking policy, which is called infinite banking concept policy. Okay. So they want to do that. That's easy to understand. But then from here, they want to just take it and pay their lease or their groceries or, you know, their, they want to just pay all their household bills. I did a YouTube on this to explain why that, although this would work, okay, mm -hmm. it would. Mathematically, it will work, but it is absolutely not the most effective way to do this. And I'm always trying to teach people the fastest, smartest, and most efficient way to do this. This is not it. So if you're leasing cars, what I'd suggest is we go to the IBC, but then from the IBC, from the banking policy, find another engine, okay? Find somewhere else. Now, what I do a lot of, I do a lot of private lending, okay? I loan money out at 12%. So I lend it out to, I don't know, let's just say Jory needs a loan. I lend it to Jory at 12%. So now all of a sudden what I've done is I've taken and I've made money twice. I'm making 4% plus dividend here. Then I took the money from there and I've moved it into this note. I lent it. Now, this 12% is kicking off income every single month because Jory's got to write a check every month for that note that I just did for him. I take that and then I would pay from that interest, I would pay the lease. That's the more effective way because now you're using some, you're, you're literally creating interest, money that didn't exist before and then using that money. So now your money is effectively, remember that photo I showed you with the guy walking his money? Now you're walking your money. Now you're making your money work harder for you. If you skip this step, your money's working for you. But again, that's not, it's not even breaking a sweat. Mm -hmm. It's working. It's working harder than it was before, but it's not working hard enough. And because we can take that money out, not interrupt this, well, find somewhere to put this money where it will generate something more. Anything over 6% would be effective. 12% private funds at 20%, whatever you do. Then take the money from there, pay the lease, pay the groceries, pay the you know dinner bill, whatever. Just yeah. A better way to do it. yeah, I mean, it's, it's when you find out money's energy, right? It's just energy. Yeah. It's energy that needs to be moved around. It's not meant to sit still, you know? And when you realize that, it just blows. It's like Joe said, you know, and, and Joe was the highest. That's a childhood friend of mine. And we talked about this together, just saying, like, 
if we would have known about this so much long ago, but I'm happy we know about it now, you know, but when yeah. you realize like you said, you energy like, is velocity. Yep, definitely. Definitely. Now the money school training, tell me a little bit about that. Sure. So once a month or every 45 days, we do a, an, an intensive. It's a three-day training. I mean, if you look right on the bottom of my screen there, Money School Training. So that's the three-day that's coming up this weekend. So it's three days with me. And then I also bring in my friends to kind of speak at that event to teach you additional things like how to protect your money, how to basically use trust, how to find uh, in, in corporate credit and all these different things. But the whole three days is me teaching these strategies, but like, 15 layers deeper and just going deeper and deeper into it over three days. And it's literally like probably one of the most powerful three day money trainings out there in the market. It's 197 bucks to spend all three days. Somebody can't make it one of the days we record them all and we send you the recordings. You can watch them anytime you want. We give you access to MS TV, which is money school TV. I mean, it's all right in that link, but so that's what it is. It's, it's, a full three days with me and you know some of my mentors that I bring on like Brent to teach you exactly how this works and, and a lot more. How to use 401ks more efficiently, how to use self-directed IRAs, how to use home equity lines of credit, how to use private equity, uh, how to use banks in a much more efficient way. It's everything money condensed into three days. Wow. Awesome. Chris, we appreciate your time, my friend. I know that uh, we took more of your time than we had to discuss, but uh, I think you hit us with the good stuff. And every time we speak, I'm more and more excited about what we got going on and my policies and doing more. So uh, the money school training seems right up the alley too, because the more education, the more moves, the more investing. And uh, like we say, shut up and invest. I love it, man. I love it. And I'm really excited that we're doing this money program within your audience because this is just the start. This is one of one and it's only going to get better. We're going to go deeper and deeper each time and uh, we won't uh, leave any stone unturned. And I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. We appreciate it, man. And we'll see you again next month. You got it. Thanks, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, thank you once again for listening to Shut Up and Invest. If you guys are motivated at the thought of continuing your real estate journey with us, then visit shutupandinvest.com. There you can join our community and take advantage of more free resources. And don't forget, please like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast so you're first to hear our new content every week. Most importantly, get active and don't forget to shut up and invest.